Hey listeners, it's Andrea. Today, Captain Picard somehow doesn't realize that he's in the military. We find the most awkward shoehorn moment in TNG history, and we ask the question, how does one cheer for a Stratagema match? Stay tuned and geek out with us. Welcome to the TNG Podcast, the number one place in the Alpha Quadrant to geek out about all things Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm your co-host, Sharice. I'm your co-host, Andrea. Today, we're talking about Season 1, Episode 21, entitled Peak Performance. I feel like there's just so much to kind of go over with this episode. And also, I thought of you because it's very, like, data-heavy, or it feels like data-fun. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but yeah, this episode was written by David Kemper and directed by Robert Shearer. So here's kind of what's going on in peak performance. It is star date 42923.4. As a result of his confrontation with the Borg, Captain Picard consents to a war games drill in which Commander Riker takes command of a Starfleet frigate. During this engagement, which is being overseen by a master strategist, the ship is attacked by the Ferengi. What are some of your initial thoughts on this episode? Yeah, my overall thoughts were, um, I was so excited when I realized which episode this was going to be because Data is one of my favorite characters. So I was like, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, Data episode. (laughs) And this episode, I just think is kind of, it's fun. I think it's interesting. It's it's always good times to see another ship um, showing up because we get to see a new interior and a new design, especially this one. They're doing a war game, but with this old busted derelict ship, which is just... I don't, I just, I thought this episode was really fun and felt, um, felt very season two. Like it didn't feel like a season one, what the heck is going on type of episode to me. How about you? Um, I think I agree with you on that. I love seeing different Starfleet ships, especially old ones with like wires and cabling hanging down. And there's like covers Mm -hmm. over the dusty old chairs and stuff. I did love that. Um, a couple of things I didn't love about this episode. One the war games didn't actually start until minute 48. <laughs> I was like, come on, come on guys. Or it was something like that. I think the, I think the episode is 48 minutes long. I think it didn't start until minute like 38 or something. There was like 10 minutes left of the episode before mm-hmm. the war games actually started. So it just felt like the world's slowest getting ready for battle montage. It was just like, here's one <laughs> sentence in engineering. He's one sentence on the bridge. Like we just needed some sweet montage music and we could have sped this whole thing. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I also thought this was a fun data episode. I always love watching him dive into human conditions and his flaws and trying to figure out like if he's good enough. Like I, I did, I did like that a lot. Let's dive right in. So it starts with, um, this Zach Dorn master strategist called Rami, um, showing up onto the bridge and kind of like baby ducking Riker, just walking real close behind him everywhere he goes. And I felt, yes. Oh my God. We I have made like a new this... saying. Stop baby ducking me. <laughs> well, I mean, I work with, as you know, I work with children. And so baby ducking is, is a real thing. Like you, you see this in humans mm. as well. Um, so good to know that that also translates to aliens like the Zach Dorn. Um, but he's got this kind of Tweedledee look that we saw before with the pack lids, but he's got like I don't know. I guess maybe that's supposed to be baggy eyes that just keep going. I'm not sure. This was a weird alien makeup for me. Um, not my favorite, but yeah, I don't know. What are I your wondered. thoughts? I wondered what you would say about that. Cause I was like, Ooh, I, I bet Sharice is going to like the monster makeup or the alien makeup or whatever. I didn't <clears throat> love it, but I thought that they did a good job in making us feel like this is a different species from humans. Um, mm-hmm. Roy Brocksmith was the actor who played Kolrami, And I thought he did a really great job um, as being just this really irritating character. Um, mm-hmm. I I would like to start a petition to add Kolrami's name to the most punchable faces in Star Trek. <laughs> I <laughs> would be happy to sign that petition because, yeah. <laughs> He definitely, he definitely had a punchable face by the end of the episode. You're just like, oh my gosh, with this guy. But yeah, I agree. He did a great job. He did a great job being super irritating and really taking that on as a character because I bought it 100%. So Kolrami baby ducks Riker off the bridge. And then Worf is having this conversation with Data just saying like, yeah, I'm not that impressed. Um, He does not seem like a warrior to me. I don't get what the fanfare is about. And Mm -hmm. Data explains to him while his people for nine centuries have been known as some of the most strategic minds in the galaxy when it comes to battle strategy. Um, and then Riker, uh, not Riker, and then Worf responds with, well, 
no one's, so no one's willing to test it just because people have been saying this for nine centuries. No one's willing to actually test it and see if it's true. And Data's like, right. exactly. No one's going to test it. So then Worf goes, well, then his reputation's meaningless. No one's, no one's ever tested them in battle. This is just something people think. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting. Like how, how often do we, as people take a stereotype really yes. and just not test it? We're just like, it must be true good or bad, right? Like all Asians are good at math. Some, you know, something weird that people say, and you're like, why, why would that be? But it's just something people say. And you're just like, oh, okay. Everybody just believes it. Yes. See, that was something that I thought was interesting as well, because data does set the precedent saying like, you know, for nine centuries, they have the best, you know, militaries, strat, you know, strategy, blah, 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 all this stuff, you know, in the galaxy. And, and I thought, I really would love to have seen that at the end of the episode where he only gives one option, you know, when, when the crisis arrives yeah. and it's the worst mm-hmm. option. I'm like, I thought you were supposed to be this brilliant <laughs> strategist. And you're like, uh, there's only one option and it's the shittiest one possible. Um, there's no other way. Here's a, here's a thought I had. Um, Kolrami meets with Picard and he, you know, basically instructs Riker that he's going to take this 80 year old frigate called the Hathaway um, and they're going to do this military exercise. And Picard, it's kind of becomes clear right away that Picard didn't want to do a war games exercise. And he says, and I quote, Starfleet is not a military organization. Its purpose is exploration. And I, my first thought was, does anyone want to tell him? Does anybody want to tell him? <laughs> Should because I tell him what you, to do? <laughs> you've got military rakes. You've got yes sir, no sirs. You've got court martials. Does anybody want to tell him? Like Photon <laughs> torpedoes. You've got phasers and lasers and yes. all kinds of things. Yes. And you've got you, fucking sir, admirals <laughs> in a military organization that happens to do space exploration. <laughs> I, I thought the same thing. I thought the same thing because we've had this question from episode one of season one we were like isn't this a military organization but also does science and he's kind of setting us straight and being like no this is all about science we just have military (laughs) stuff from time to time when we run into borg or ferengi or romulans or you know klingons back in the day but that's just okay so do you remember when the benzite mendon was aboard the ship and poking around and he had some questions and some things that he had like in mind as improvements for the ship. And he tells Picard and Picard goes aboard this ship. We have a chain of command. And I went, yep. uh, military. <laughs> yeah. Like, Cause I can tell things. you, I can tell you when I used to work in the lab and the, I'm sure it's the same for you too, Andrea, when you used to work in the lab, we did not have some like hierarchy like that. Yeah. There nope. was the boss, but like you could talk to him whenever or anybody else. It wasn't yeah. some kind of like, we have a chain of command. The undergrad must tell the grad student who must tell the postdoc who then goes on to tell the PI. Like, no, that's not science. <laughs> it's like laughably ridiculous. That's like not a thing. <laughs> Anybody who's interested in working in a lab, that's not a thing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Just so you know. FYI, spoiler alert. In addition, in that same scene, where he's saying like, we're just all about space exploration. And then Kalrami is like, well, then why am I here? Why, why are we having this military strategic discussion? Why are we even doing a war game? And Picard says, well, you know, I was against it, but in light of the Borg threat, the fact that we've now met the Borg, I think we should be ready. And so I was like, Hmm, question. If the point of this exercise is to get ready for the Borg, why would you play a war game against this old busted crap ship? which does not at all represent the Borg who have the most sophisticated technology you've ever seen. I was just like, I don't, I don't really get it. I mean, I guess we could kind of say they are inventive though. I mean, the Borg will always surprise you. Um, Mm -hmm. So maybe there's that aspect of, they just need to be ready for battle, but come on Picard. It's not like y'all don't get into battles all the time. So I don't know. I agree. And if we really, really like sink our teeth into the idea of this war games thing, um, what are you really testing? Because if you're judging Riker, then, you know, you might be judging like this piece of shit ship versus the enterprise, which is like vastly superior. It's like, okay, but you're really just doing this entire exercise to judge if Riker can think strategically, because what are we judging Picard on? Picard has the upper hand. Right. Uh, On nothing. Yeah. You're just judging him on nothing. Here's, here's a thought I had, and I don't think I ever would have wondered this have had I not spent the last number of years working with special needs kids I wonder if Kalrami is written as the perspective of someone who's maybe on the spectrum 
because he displays like extreme rigidity, not mm-hmm. a lot of like social emotional awareness, seems to have mm-hmm. like impulse control issues. Like he can't stop humming all the time. Like I wonder, mm-hmm. was this done on purpose or or did they just, I'm, I'm not really sure, but I saw that and I went, oh mm-hmm. my gosh, he might, this might be a race of people who sort of display like spectrum behaviors. I wasn't, I kind of wondered about that. And I wanted to know what you thought about that. You know what? I did not think about that, but I, I would agree after working with special needs students, I, I have the same reaction to a lot of shows now when I go back and I rewatch it. I'm like, oh, that's why they're doing that. Oh, this is the technique yes. you use. Like it, it's like, it's so clear to me. But before I worked with this population of students, I was just like, what? Well, I don't get it. Right. So mm-hmm. I think it's very possible because at the, around that same time, um, if I recall, that's when um, the presence of autism was becoming more known in America. That's when um, tests started to be given to children earlier and earlier. And that's when people, that's like right around 1990, um, where people started to wonder like, where's this coming from? How does this work? And a lot of research was going into it. That's when in 1991, that's when a scientist lied about the fact that vaccines cause autism because he was trying to, you know, he was trying to get money for his own vaccine. And so he made this whole big thing Is that was that the beginning of this whole vaccines cause autism bullshit oh my that God. was the beginning of it and then everyone believed it and then all oh this research God. went into it that disproved it but it was too late and so everybody believed it and then everyone's afraid of vaccines it was all this stuff that happened in 1991 and this episode i think was 1989 or so so mm-hmm. like right around that time is where people were looking into into autism so it's very possible that it was kind of a hot topic um, it's also possible that it was modeled after someone who was on the spectrum without the writers knowing that that's why that person was acting the way that person was. So yeah, that's, that's super fascinating, but yeah, I think we're going to revisit that topic many, many, many times. Yeah. I think over so. these seven seasons. I think so. I think so. Um, well moving right along. So Riker is given the task of putting together his team and he goes to Jordy, which I'm like, duh. <laughs> Of course you want Jordy. <laughs> yeah. I love he, when he goes to Jordy. I love how Jordy already has his bags packed. Yes. Right? Oh my God. It felt <sighs> a little like I was waiting for you to invite me to summer camp. I've already got my sleeping bag and my fishing pole. Like he was so ready. Yes. I was like, yeah, oh, I loved it. And I thought he was going to say no at first because he was just like, so, you know, what do you think about this old ship? And he was just like, well, good luck to you. You know, it's going to be super hard <laughs> and da, 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 da. And I was like, oh, he's not coming. And then he goes, well, what do you think about fixing it? And he's like, I already got my kit packed. I was like, oh, yes. And see, that right there, that right there is why you want him. Because the man yes. is so ready. He's got a B plan, a C plan. Like, you know, he yep. had a bag packed to go to the Hathaway. You know, he also had tools squir- squirreled away for if they wanted him on the Enterprise. Like, he was ready for all contingencies. <laughs> That's why you want Jordan. Yep. Here's here's something that caught my eye. Um, he goes to Wharf to ask him to be part of the crew and Worf is building a model ship, but it looks like a second graders version of a model ship with like popsicle <laughs> sticks. Like it's so junky. It is the opposite of like the amazing model ship that Jordy built in the elementary yes. Dear data episode. But yeah. here's something that I immediately jumped on. There's hardly any lighting in the room. Everything is always like dark and shadowy. <laughs> and I thought in the case we made that Klingon eyes are maybe not well adapted to intense light because anytime mm. you go to a Klingon scene, it's dark yeah. it's smoky. There's red light or there's very low light. And I'm like, yeah, what is going on with the Klingons and their inability to just like see normally? I, I don't know. You know what? You might be right because even when they go to the planet Klingon, it looks exactly like that. It's all like dark and mysterious. So you might be right. You might have something there. You know what? We might need to get some funding and get some research going on this because I feel like Klingon yeah. eyes have not been studied enough and maybe they can't take intense light. Yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> and then he brings and then Riker brings Wesley aboard for educational purposes, question mark. Yeah, that's because he's Wesley's mentor. And so he just like brought him along for the ride. And I thought that was also pretty cute. Plus, Wesley's a boy genius and I would want him on my ship in any he situation. Does cre- he does basically save everybody's ass again. With his like little warp thing, you know, which we'll get into in a minute. But it's like, yeah, Mm -hmm. you're right. You do want Wesley because Jordy didn't think of it. Warp didn't think of it. I wanted this whole team. Riker was brilliant. The only other person I would have wanted was Data. But someone's got to stay on the ship. Yeah. (laughs) But do they? I don't know. It's a war game. Do they really need Data to stay on the ship? Um, so we're still, you know, we're still aboard the Enterprise and Riker's getting his team together. And Riker decides to challenge Kolrami to a game of Stratagema because... Kolrami is a grandmaster. And one, I thought Stratagema 
is one of the coolest game names I've ever oh heard. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. It's such a dope name. You already know it's about strategy. You don't even need to yes. know more. So when they have the glowy boards just floating in the air, you're just like, okay, like you don't need to know the rules. <laughs> you don't need to know how it goes. It's called yep. Stratagema. It's about strategy. That's all you need to know. is in the name. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like it's yeah. Right and there's colors and there's little finger things. And that's all you need yes, to know. Those little finger things were so effing cool. So they're playing this game of Stratagema. They got to put these little like finger sensors and they just wiggle their fingers really fast to move these pieces, I guess. Um, <laughs> but here's here's something. Riker loses after only 23 moves and it's over in seconds. And I'm guessing somewhere on the planet Mariposa, Brenna Odell is like, tell me about it. <laughs> because <laughs> this is what this felt like to me. It's like, and it's over in seconds. <laughs> For those of you who don't remember, that's the woman from the Irish colony um, that left Earth 300 years ago, but then their planet was about to die. And so the Enterprise came and found them and relocated them to a nearby planet with another colony. And uh, this woman had an experience, had a foot washing session with Riker. We'll just leave it at that. And apparently it was not very satisfying of a session because she was super pissed right after. Yes, because minutes later she was running around screaming at everybody. So I'm thinking Riker, (laughs) Riker sort of showed his card in Stratagema. And after 23 moves and mere seconds, it was all over. And everybody went, oh, (laughs) I thought this is what. This is what she must have dealt with. But anyway, that's, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but you know what? I do admire the fact that Riker wanted to play Kolrami because he was like a third degree master or whatever the heck they mm-hmm. called him. I just think that's really admirable because he was just saying like, this guy is so good at this game and so famous. When would I ever get the chance to actually play him in a real like tournament or game yes. or anything? I wouldn't. So I'm going to take this opportunity just to play him is such an honor. And I thought, wow, that's really like, I admire that because you know, you're going to lose, you know, you have no chance of winning and you just want the experience and you don't care if you are humiliated. You don't care if you look stupid and you know, he's going to talk crap about you immediately afterwards. You don't care either. And I was like, okay, I need to take a lesson from Riker's book to like take advantage of those opportunities, even if you're not going to win or look amazing. Oh, I totally thought that was absolutely worth it too. I would have done that as well. It's like, you know, if you are given the opportunity to play against a super grandmaster or a black belt or whatever, you, you take the opportunity, even though, you know, you're going to get your ass handed to you because you now have the pleasure of saying I played Kolrami in Stratagema. And of course I lost spectacularly, but like there was never a chance of winning and it was just for the experience mm-hmm. of doing so. Um, I had a neighbor who was a professional pianist, a concert pianist. And I asked her, to play a piece for me. And she's like, well, I'm rusty. And I, you know, I haven't played in years. And But I was like, I just want to hear you play for the pleasure of saying, I heard you play. Like, it doesn't matter. And, mm-hmm. and so I really, I really yep. felt that. I really felt that. Um, now, while this is going on, Pulaski is like, I'm going to insert myself and I'm going to like push data to challenge Kolrami in this game of Stratagema because, and I thought, Yes, Pulaski. This is one of the few times I absolutely understand why you're doing this. And I agree with you. Like, let's have an Android like battle against him and see what could happen. This is this is exactly like a match made in heaven right here. And we're going to see that sort of play out a little later. But Pulaski's like, come on, Data, come on. And I was like, yeah, I totally would have done that, too. (laughs) (laughs) I would have been nudging him in the ribs. (laughs) (laughs) And Data's like, no, thank you. No, no, thank you. And Pulaski's like, you can't do it. Um, no, no, thank you. So yeah, we're going to, we're going to pick that back up in a minute. What happens with that? But yeah, Pulaski and, and Troy and Jordy are just like, come on with this guy. Like we need an Android to just really see how far do these strategic minds go to test those strategic minds. Exactly what Worf was suggesting earlier. Mm-hmm. So then we're back on the Hathaway, which looks so cool. I love seeing the inside of a yes. new ship. I like the blue green light panels in the back. And like you mentioned before, like the curtain over the table, like you would do in an old house or something to keep stuff from getting dusty, I guess. I don't know. Yes. (laughs) So if we, if we kind of think about Star Trek universe and their timeline, the next generation was set 78 years after the original Captain Kirk's enterprise. And Kolrami says that this frigate is 80 years old. So this frigate was in its heyday when Captain Kirk and Spock were bouncing around. So I love that it all looks so 
appropriate for like the Captain Kirk space age timeline. It looks yeah. a little bit more advanced because, you know, the set design in 1968, you know, obviously wasn't going to be as strong as 1989, but it it just looked like it would have fit. The panels all look different. There's cabling and fiber optic fiber optic cables just hanging from the ceilings and the rafters. Mm-hmm. It looked so effing cool. I just wanted to like run around in there and push buttons. I mean, I want to do that totally. with any enterprise, but especially yes. that one. I was like, yes. I want a, I want to get like a damp cloth and wipe down these chairs so I can <laughs> <sit in> it. <laughs> and I want to run around in it. It was just so cool. Engineering looked really cool. Jordy had sort of it looked like a an old 60s like television screen sort of as like his view screen. I was like, "Oh my god." Number one, you guys did the shit out of your research. It looked so good. <laughs> Never put this together. Yeah, they just pulled that out of storage. <laughs> they were like, oh, good thing, good thing we kept these. So let's just pop this back these up. Panels. Here. <laughs> yeah, these panels well, and these old chairs. <laughs> yeah, it looked out of 10. It looked really cool. And then it had the boatswain's whistle like that we've heard, I yeah. think, in uh the first episode of the first season of season one of TNG. Yeah, the boatswain's whistle. Yeah, or whatever it's called. Yeah, the bosun's whistle. And then we heard it again, like one other time, I think. Also in it season was in, one. It was where no one has gone before, where the traveler puts them so far away that their thoughts shape reality. And Picard has to tell mm, everybody, like, let's mm-hmm. just focus on our job and focus on the traveler. Man, I'm glad we have this show because I wouldn't have been able to think of that. <laughs> <laughs> so here we hear it again. And it actually makes sense because it doesn't make a ton of sense on the on the Enterprise, the TNG version of the Enterprise. But it does make sense on this old school ship. And mm-hmm. so that's fun. Um, yeah, every part of this, every part of this is really cool. I like the little scene where... Um, Riker lets Worf know that he's going to be the first officer. That was just very cool. He's like, this is your chair. And he's like, "Uh, no, it should be Jordy's because he's a more senior officer than me. And he's like, no, you are my tactical officer. This is a tactical situation. This is your chair. I was just like, wow, that's that's really cool. Lots of just little special moments that I really liked like that in this episode. There were. Yes, there were a lot of little special moments. Here's a not special moment that I was like, what the hell? Uh, (laughs) Worf and Riker are aboard the Bridge of the Hathaway and they're plotting. And I'm not really big on timestamps, but if you guys are watching this or want to go back and rewatch this, at 16 minutes, 43 seconds, there's a woman behind Worf and Riker who's very obviously listening to their conversation. And she's even like staring off into space as they're like proposing these different things and then she starts like slow nodding and I'm like what the fuck are you doing here like don't you have a job to do she clearly turns around and then she steps up and says but what about the view screen it's like why are you here Riker could have asked that question like you absolutely did not need to be here so my first thought was you clearly are like a friend or a relative of someone who was like running the show and they just inserted you in so that you could be like, I was on Star Trek, I guess, because it made no sense otherwise. No sense at all. Just none. Like, I didn't know why she was there. I was like, this doesn't make any sense. I could go on and on about right. how little sense it made. I think you're right. She she might have been a relative of somebody. That was a really shoehorned yes. part. Because it's not like It's not like the three of them were talking. Like, it's no. like the two of them were talking and she was like five feet away, just tr- pretending to be a part of the group. <laughs> yes. And then she walks, she had a couple other lines on the show, but it was all sort of like, she had numerous little one-liners. It's like, shields are down. They're fell for it or whatever. It's like, you're just saying these like non sequiturs. <laughs> like, you don't even need to be there for. This totally could have been said by a member of the crew that we like all know and love. And then I don't think we ever see this woman again. She probably no, stayed we aboard the Hathaway. God only knows. But I thought, okay, like <laughs> it, it just, it was so awkward and weird. So 16 minutes, 43 seconds, check it out. It was just like, what is she do? Is she listening? Oh my God. And she's stepping in and interrupting. Oh my God. It just made. It, it she was, was just she was participating. Thing. She wasn't interrupting. She was participating <laughs> because when she shares her two cents, they're just like, that's right. They're not like, excuse me, who are you? Yeah. Have we met before? Why are yes. you on the ship? You know, they're just like, yeah, Riker, you know, so if Riker is allowed to bring 40 people aboard the Hathaway, why her? We've never seen her. We have no idea who she even is. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. I'm like, you only get 40 people out of a thousand. You better take the best 40. Um, and so in honor of this moment, I'm going to take the shoehorn award away from O'Brien and give it to this woman because at least O'Brien is like a working part of the crew. Is that her name? That name name just popped into my head. Yeah. I didn't even write it down. Ensign Nagel. So 
congratulations, Ensign Nagel. You now have the honorary title of most awkward shoehorn moment. <laughs> totally. Shoehorn award goes to you, girl. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so a little bit after this, um, we realized that they do not have warp capability. They've got one little dilithium crystal that's all sad and alone. Mm-hmm. It's not enough to and power dusty. anything. And dusty. They didn't put a dust jacket over that. Um, <laughs> where is this dust coming from? Where? Anyways, that's a whole nother topic. So, so they're like, we don't have warp drive. That's going to be tough in a battle against the Enterprise. Fair. So sorry, then Wesley has this. I'm still, I'm still dying over you going, where is the <laughs> dust coming from? You're right. It's a vacuum sealed ship in outer space. Where would you space. have dust from? I don't know. I never know the answer to this question. But in any case, um, so Wesley's like, let me go back to the ship. You know, I've got an idea. And he goes and picks up his science experiment that happens to be whatever it is, it can power the ship and work with that little tiny crystal to like activate the warp core or whatever. And I was just like, wow, good thing he happened to have that laying around. Um, and -hmm. what's great about it is, is that, um, Picard asked Kalrami, like, what do you think about letting him back on board? You know, it's his school project. We have to kind of like cater to him because he's a little bit younger. And he, Kalrami's like, all right, he needs to be observed the whole time he's here. So then he sends, Picard sends Ensign Burke to go and like monitor Mm -hmm. him. And Burke could just not wait to get the heck out of there. He's got other stuff to do. He's so busy. He can't be paying attention to what Wesley's doing. And Wesley knows it because he is socially, emotionally aware So Mm -hmm. he just plays the guy. He's just chattering about nonsense. And, you know, it took me six weeks to make this and all this other stuff. So that the, so that instant Burke is like, yeah, 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 yeah. Come on, let's go. And then he's like, oh, I've got to beam this into space. Come on, let's do this already, kid. So he's like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah. He beams it over to the ship. And then next scene, we see instant Burke, the thing he had to get to, the thing he was rushing for was the Stratagema contest. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, dude. This was not an emergency. This was, you act like you're, you're, you needed to be on the bridge for some really important reason. We see you in 10 forward being like, all right, guys, let's go. What? Yes. Yes. He's basically, he's basically the hot girl in the drag race in the 1950s that who hang, who waves the <laughs> handkerchief in the air and then drops it. So the cars can take off like in Greece. I mean, that's exactly what he, that's what he was rushing to get there for. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So a little <laughs> bit about this data versus Kohlrami stratagema game one since stratagema is a made-up game we don't know how to cheer for it and clearly the writers didn't know how people would cheer for it either (laughs) because the extras were shouting things like look at him go oh goody faster harder good job and one more (laughs) i was like what are you guys saying i literally stopped it put on closed captioning and wrote everything down that they were cheering (laughs) Sharice is dying. My favorite is Goody. Yes. <laughs> oh, Goody. Yes. Yes. What? It was like. Who, sa- who says that at a sporting event of any kind? Oh, Goody. It was- <laughs> <laughs> yes. It was look at him go. Oh, Goody. Faster, harder, one more, which I was like, this has taken a turn for the worse. And then good job. <laughs> oh, was- my gosh. And I just went. And also, it was the most, I mean, it was like, what is the most milk toast cheering we could write? <laughs> and what is the most milk toast delivery we could give? Because it was like, good, good, go. Faster, faster, harder. It wasn't even like when you are for reals cheering for a game and you're like, come on. Like, you're really yeah. cheering. It was yeah. like, okay, extras, we just want you, nobody strain their vocal cords. Okay. <laughs> just say it calmly. It was so weird. But anyway, I thought that was very funny. Data loses the match and we are perplexed as is data. Mm-hmm. It's like, what the heck happened? And then we have this smug little shit Kohlrami <laughs> flouncing off 10 forward. And I went, oh my God. Again, most punchable faces of Star Trek. Yeah. He's yeah. part of the bingo card that I'm going to create. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great idea, actually. <laughs> Who got N Kohlrami? That's what it is right there. Or whatever. <laughs> and you know what? I'm going to make the table 3D, like 3D space chess. And that's what it's going to yeah. be. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, Data loses. And it's a little perplexing. It's a little perplexing. And we're left to be like, what? I thought he was infallible. I don't know. What were you yeah. thinking? I know you're so data. You're such a data fan. I want to hear what you thought about this. I, I am such a data fan. So data loses and he's confused. We're all confused. 
And I feel like it doesn't take very long for kind of Pulaski and Troy and his cheerleaders to be like, well, you win some, you lose some. Oh, well. So they're kind of like, they're bummed, they're confused, but then they kind of move on. And Data has no frame of reference. He's never lost something like this before. He's never played something like this before, but he assumed he would win because of his intellectual capacity and his like superior ability to process data and analyze things. And so it just makes no sense. This causes data to spiral down into this like loop of shame where he's just yes, like, like something, yeah. yeah, something must be wrong with my programming. Something's wrong with my logic. Something's wrong with my ability to think something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Something's wrong with me. And I don't know what it is. And this to me is like the most human thing he's ever said or done, right? This yes. is very human to think there's something wrong with you but you don't know what it is. This is just life, right? You're like, why doesn't, you know, why, why won't somebody date me? There's something wrong with me, but I don't know what it is. Why doesn't so-and-so like me? There's something wrong with me, but I don't know what it is. Right. That's such a, that's human thing. You immediately doubt yourself and your skills and your ability. And I think that it is very in line with data as an Android who does this very deductive reasoning where he's like, okay, if A is true and B is true, then A and B together make C and that's true. And I thought that was, he thought, okay, I'm clearly fallible. This man beat me. The captain is depending on me, not only for this war games exercise as his first officer, but in general, in my duties to give him correct information. And if I've made a mistake here in this game, I ha- I clearly mm-hmm. could make a mistake and give the, the captain some bad advice. And I kept waiting, you know, Troy tried to talk to him and Pulaski tried to talk to him. And then finally Picard comes to talk to him and he's like, get back to your station and stop fucking about with this like self-doubt nonsense. But I really was waiting for someone to say data. All of us are fallible. We all could give incorrect information, but mm-hmm. we all just try our best to give you know, the the most correct information with the data that we have on, you know, in our hands. And I was waiting for mm-hmm. someone to say that and nobody did. And, and Picard just went, stop self-doubting yourself, leave it behind. And I thought, wait, 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 you guys are constantly self-doubting yourself on the bridge. It's a little unfair to expect data to just leave that behind. I mean, he's, a, he's an Android, so I guess he could put that in his programming, but you guys all are just using your best information and creating the most educated guess you can whenever you give the captain options, you know, when the chips are down, why didn't somebody just tell data that like, we all do this data. So even if that's true, you're still working with the the most information you've got and like your best skill set. That's a really, that's a really good point because Troy does kind of start to say something like that, where she's saying, we all, you know, when something happens like this, it's, it's easy to have self-doubt or it's easy to be disheartened or it's easy to be sad or whatever, Mm -hmm. but she was using emotions. And so he was just like, but I don't have any of those emotions. Like I'm not feeling sad. I'm feeling, you know, I'm not feeling any of those things. I'm just doubting my abilities. So she went at it at an angle that just wouldn't resonate with him. Um, and so then Pulaski comes in and she goes at it with like, you're just, your ego's bruised. And she totally says it the way that she would be feeling. Mm -hmm. And again, it's like a feelings perspective that doesn't really resonate with data. Like it just doesn't make sense. I think Mm -hmm. Picard came the closest when he said, you know, it's possible to make no mistakes and still lose. Like that's, that's kind of what made him go, oh, okay, well you could make mistake. Like you could actually do everything right. And it's still not turn out right. That worked for data. Um, but yeah, I agree. There could have also been something from somebody saying, and not knowing what's going to happen, not knowing whether or not you're right is part of being human. This is yes. what, it, this is what all of us experience every single day. We all do our best. And that's all we're asking from you. That could have been nice to also add in there. But in any case, they somehow get him back on the bridge, which is nice because it would have been a really weird show to have Data locked away in his quarters for the rest of the seven seasons. Yeah. (laughs) Doing diagnostic after diagnostic. Yes. (laughs) And cross-referencing against the ship's computer. Taking mm-hmm. forever. Um, so we have this little moment. I want to back up because we kind of skip past it, but Kolrami keeps talking shit about Riker and he keeps telling Picard, you know, this is going to be a very easy battle. This should be over by dinner time, essentially. Um, and it, and even as I'm saying this, I'm wondering why wasn't Kolrami also aboard the Hathaway to observe? You know, you're you're if you're watching a war games, you kind of want like one observer from each side. So that kind of didn't make any sense. But 
whatever with that. Um, but he keeps tearing down Riker. And I love that Picard is like, can I see you in the kitchen for a minute, essentially? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and takes him to his ready room. And it's like, what is your problem? Why do you keep shitting on my first officer? Like, you clearly have a prejudice against him. Why don't you just tell us what it is? And it turns out that although Riker has this exemplary uh, service record, Kolrami doesn't like how jovial he is and like laid back he is with the crew. And I love that Picard is like, number one, he's the finest officer I've ever served with. And I was like, yes, mm-hmm. thank you. Thank you, Picard, for having your officers back. And mm-hmm. two, just because someone is jovial with your crew does not mean you're like not effective as a leader. You don't have the respect, mm-hmm. et cetera. So I love that Picard kind of slapped Kolrami back into his box. It was like, you need to check yourself because you're being grossly unfair to someone you don't even know. Um so the war game finally begins. Sharice, it's like minute 38 out of 48. I was like, come on. When are you guys going to start this? Um, but I guess there was a lot of buildup. And Riker does take an early lead by tricking the Enterprise into thinking that a Romulan warship was coming in hot. You know, Worf does his sensor trickery. And mm-hmm. on the sensors, you know, on the main screen of the Enterprise, it looks like, you know, this warbird is coming in. And so Picard takes evasive maneuvers. And then you see... <laughs> You see the Hathaway going pew, 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 you know, just <laughs> so cute. And, and then you hear Kalrami like, tee, hee, 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 hee. Yes, like, yes. just like, they, they got you. That was a good one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of like I used to, I used to do fencing and there were a little electronic sensor. So if you land a hit on your opponent, it just, the electronic system like picks it up. So that's what they were doing. They were kind of doing that, (laughs) but I thought it was so cute. And it was this great little, like sort of battle of wits. And I loved seeing Picard and Riker pitted against each other, but in a good natured way. Yeah. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like measure of a man when they were trying to prove data was alive or real living thing or or whatever. Right. 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 Like Mm -hmm. there were some serious stakes and they really had to fight against each other. This was such a friendly competition. It also wasn't like the episode where Riker was trying to prove himself to his dad and was going to take command of this other ship in this dangerous mission. Yes. Right. He, there was nobody trying to prove anything here. It was just a game of wits. Exactly. It was just like, all right, we want to win. How are we going to win? And it was kind of fun and lighthearted for a serious reason, Mm -hmm. but really fun and lighthearted. And so that was actually super fun to watch. That was really fun to watch. Here's something that was not fun to watch though, is suddenly out of the blue, not only do we have a C plot dropped in on us all of a sudden, but it's a Ferengi <laughs> C plot. It's like, what the, f- what? So the Ferengis, now a Ferengi ship comes in hot and starts firing at the Enterprise, which is a major treaty violation. So I feel like there had to have been just a ton of like paperwork that had to be filed. I don't know if they this. have a treaty with the Ferengi because remember in season one, they had just barely met the Ferengi. They had never seen them before. Oh, they weren't maybe. aware of their technology and all the stuff. And then they started to like, you know, kind of talk to them and get to know them. So I don't think they have a treaty. I think they're just kind of still in the get to know you phase. Maybe they don't, but I feel like, wouldn't that be kind of a declaration of war to just zoom in and start firing at the ship? Like, yes. So for the, for the Federation firing on their ship would be a declaration of war for the Ferengi. That's one of their rules of acquisition. Like that's how they function in the universe is if it's like Mm. finders keepers, like if you are um, not able to defend yourself and they come up on you, it's in their laws that they have the right to like capture you and sell off everything, mm, which they have makes, not yet established all of that. I think they haven't established <laughs> the Ferengi backstory <laughs> totally yet. See, <laughs> this is the season two-iness of this episode. It's the rules aren't totally flushed out yet, but it is still a fun watch. But okay. So here's, here's the deal. The Ferengi come in because they have been monitoring the situation and they see that the enterprise is trying to fire on the Hathaway. But when the Ferengi show up, it desperately tries to protect the Hathaway. So they reason that there must be something valuable that the enterprise wants. And then as all the kids who have ever stormed onto the sandbox and have learned this hard lesson, nobody wants to play with you when you behave like this. Okay. So mm-hmm. they're like, give me that thing that's valuable. And the enterprise is like, um, no. And immediately Kolrami suggests giving the Hathaway to the Ferengi. Um, how are you a master strategist, sir? You yep. are the worst strategist I've ever seen in my life. Number one, why not just beam the crew aboard and give them the old ship and be like, there you go. Now you have this fucking yeah, piece the of transporters space garbage. Yeah, the transporters refused. 
they, they mentioned that oh. they were like, get them off the halfway immediately. Well, the, so as soon as the Frangy come and they start shooting and their lasers are a lot cooler, right? They're like, pew, pew, pew. And the Enterprise yeah. is like, Psh! you know, yeah. um, and <laughs> what was funny is they, that he thought that Worf was tricking them again. So they didn't bother to raise shields or protect themselves. They were like, aha, Worf, that's a good one. And then mm. all of a sudden the ships are shaking and they're like, oh crap, that's a real ship. And so now because they had their guard down, all those shots happen to hit in really lucky spots. It fused their ability to fire any of their weapons and it fused their, their technology so they couldn't do any transportation. Like they couldn't transport anybody because that's what Picard said. He was like, raise shields. They're like, oh, we can't re- bring our shields up. Fire torpedoes. Oh, we can't fire anything. Get them off the Hathaway. We can't get them off the Hathaway. And he's like, move our ship between them and Hathaway. Like just block him. And now they're like, crap, we've got nothing. Mm. And that's why Kolrami is like, we need to get out of here. We've got no weapons. We've got no way to protect ourselves. It's just 40 people versus a thousand. Like the math works out to me. Get us the heck out of here. Kolrami's suggestion as a master strategist is run away. <laughs> and I was mm-hmm. like, dude. As the only option, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> There's yes. no other where, option. Where I love that Worf, who is not a master strategist, is like you jump to warp and you kind of, you know, get at it, whatever. Like, I love that the crew of the Enterprise completely circumvents Kolrami's nonsense. And they're like, mm-hmm. uh, no, we're just going to ignore Just let's not listen to him anymore, everybody. And there's and that part where, yeah, there's that part where Kolrami orders Picard to run away because he's the Starfleet <laughs> observer. And Picard just shuts that down. He goes, I'm the captain of this ship. Your order is canceled or whatever he said. And Kolrami's just like, you know why? You know why he, he just huffs off. He ignored Kolrami, Sharice, because it is a military organization and there are a chain of commands. That's <laughs> exactly, why. Exactly. Picard, you just own yourself. Like, what are you talking about? No military. Get out of here. Yeah. So he does say, like, dude, you're a guest, essentially. And I'm going to go ahead mm-hmm. and boot you now. Um, yep. So, and look, this is exactly what Worf was saying. Worf was saying for nine centuries, no one's ever tested. The um, what are they called? Zakdorn, the yes. people, yeah. The Zakdorn, no one's ever tested these people in battle in nine centuries because they just assume they're going to be so amazing, but their reputation doesn't mean anything. And here we have him being tested for the first time in his entire life in a real mm-hmm. battle situation, not a war game, but a real yep. battle situation. And he immediately folds, immediately. <laughs> He's the worst. He's the worst. Um, also, he's this brilliant strategic mind. He comes up with running away and nothing else. And the crew says, okay, we're not going to listen to you. And they put together a plan in like two minutes. It took two minutes to just put that together. They're like, all right, we're going to use the two seconds of warp drive that Wesley has given us by bringing his little crystal orb aboard. Mm-hmm. You're going to fire your torpedoes. It's going to look like the ship was destroyed, but we're going to jump to warp and, you know, hide behind hide- the planet hide behind the planet essentially um and it works and Worf again pulls out this holographic ship trick out of his sleeve and while they're hiding behind the planet in the Hathaway uh he he makes the Ferengi sensors detect another you know another ship, ship coming, coming in yeah exactly mm-hmm. and so the Ferengi are like oh we've been beaten and they make this really quick retreat and I thought again this could have been you know if you do just a straightforward war games episode that could have been so much fun the battle of the wits there are multiple moves that they're all doing on each other you know picard is delighted to see Riker up to his old tricks and Riker is delighted to see picard is you know being very like ingenious but but instead we had one move and then a ferengi ship showed up for really no reason and then they scarper the second they feel like they've been beaten it's like this was a c plot i did not need and did not want and didn't know was going to come up and i went ew i don't like this (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I guess it's a little bit like the Stratagema game, right? Where it's like a 20, 23 moves, several seconds, and it's over. So yeah. here's some of my, <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't mind that because I thought, yeah, I mean, it doesn't make any sense, but like how else were they going to finish this episode? I, I don't know. I guess they needed some drama, but here, here are some things that did kind of irritate me about this, these last scenes. Um, so one thing that I thought was, did it make sense was that Worf was going to do the sensor trick with the Ferengi. And make it seem like another Federation ship is coming. Now, that's a great idea. And that's that's like a great twist. However, the only reason he was able to do that successfully with the Enterprise is because he knows all the security codes for the I Enterprise. The same thing. I thought the same thing, Sharice. Preach. Keep going. Yes. Yeah, so I was like, amen. 
So I was like, um, <laughs> so you don't know their security codes. And it's not like this is an alien species you guys have tons of contact with. So you can maybe guess. It's like, no, you guys, this is like your fourth time seeing the Ferengi ever. Mm-hmm. So you don't know their security codes to get in and trick their sensors. So I was just like, uh, mm, okay. False. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, let's see what else bothered me about this, or I guess bothered is, is too strong of a word, but, um, oh, here's the other thing was that the Ferengi give them 10 of their minutes, which I guess are earth minutes. This is the question we keep coming back to. How do they measure mm-hmm. time when you've got different planets yeah. with different time? <laughs> yeah. It, it makes no sense, but let's just, let's just say earth. Really, it's America. Apparently, everything's America. So, like, you've got 10 U.S. minutes for you to use <laughs> to, like, before you have to give their an- your answer to the Ferengi. So, they do this first intergalactic conference call, which was kind of neat, in the observation lounge between the two ships. But as they're talking, I'm just like, y'all, y'all only had 10 minutes. And then, by the way, after he does the 10 minute, you have 10 minutes, or maybe it's before, I don't remember, but I think it's after. There's, like, a little commercial break. And when it comes back from commercial break, Picard is making a log, you know, to like catch up the people who are coming back from commercial so they know what's going on. But as I'm watching, I'm just like, wait a minute, you only have 10 U.S. minutes. You're making a log? (laughs) You're making a log? We don't have time for this! Again, it's the home soil episode where that laser drill has cut the bejesus out of that poor man who's now smoldering and they haven't even gotten (laughs) his body out yet. And Riker's like, first officer's log, you know, and Data and Jordy are like, we got to help him. And he's like, I'm making, hold on. I'm making a log right now. Give me a break. Give me a break. This is not the time to be making a log, but yeah. Okay. It's, it's clearly done for the viewers. But if you, if you think about that in real time, yeah, I was like, what are you guys doing? Picard, stop making an <laughs> effing log. You only have you only have six Earth minutes left now. Like, come on. So I don't know. That that just was kind of stressing me out. And then the other fun thing about this Ferengi scene is that we see Quark yet again, the actor who plays Quark. But in this, I think his name is like Bactor or something. So this guy yeah, has played like 17 Quark. different Ferengi, <laughs> but it's the same guy. And every time I see him, I'm just like, man, this guy is good as a Ferengi. He's just good in this role. When central casting is like, oh, Star Trek needs another Ferengi, they open up the file and there's just literally one actor's headshot <laughs> in it. And they're like, this dude. <laughs> That's it. And I'm really glad that he became a season regular on Deep Space Nine. Like he earned his yeah. piece. Like he was on the show so many times as so many different Ferengi. So anyways, that was just like a, that was a fun little cameo. I'm like, ooh, who's he playing today? Um, you know what? But yeah. I was, I was actually thrilled. I mean, I wasn't thrilled to see the Ferengi because I think that they're stupid as an alien race. They're kind of just pointless. But, but I was thrilled that when the Ferengi came on the main view screen, it wasn't the white background yes. and the up the nostril shot. You know, it yeah. was like, oh, there's multiple Ferengis. We're on a bridge. They still had the orb that they were using to control Picard with, you know, like, that was, that was the, all there. The and I was giant like, cool. mind stone. Yeah. The mind <laughs> oh my god yeah so dumb that's, that's so gonna... dumb but yeah they they did they yes. are building out the Frangie ship a little bit more and not just having a, a weird all-white background with no details yes yes, yes. i do like that I, I love seeing new ships yes so all right the Frangie make this quick retreat the sh- you know the ship goes back to normal every i guess they fixed the transporters and were able to beam everybody back on and everything sort of ended happily ever after and i did like that the last scene was data and Korami 2.0 the throwdown and yep. Data ends up stalemating him indefinitely. So Korami slams his little finger tubies down on the table and storms mm-hmm. off. And I love that Data did have that very, like, cute, you know, this is just Data. This is, like, Data gold right here. And he does this from time to time. And I love it every time where he was like, I didn't win. I just stalemated. So there wasn't a real win. You know, Picard had said you could make no mistakes and still lose. So that's kind of what I did. And they're like, hmm. And then he goes, I busted him up. Cause that's what Pulaski had told him. Like bust him up. Yeah. Bust him up. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And everybody goes data, you know, and then it's a freeze frame, you know, <laughs> and, you know, essentially in my mind it was, I guess nobody else. No, no. Um, but, but yeah, so he goes, I busted him up and everybody's like data. And it was just super cute. I loved that. I love that data just gets so much attention as a crew member and I totally see why he's such a favorite of yours because 
not only is it fabulous acting on Brett Spiner's part, I mean, to play a robot with no emotions and to get kind of the little movements down and do the little like accessing, accessing. It's like, that's hard to mm-hmm. do. It's harder than you think. And then to have him have these like slight like human moments. It's just so charming. I, you know, I just love it. I love it so much. What did yeah, you think I liked it? his little, I liked his little smirk while he's like beating Kolarami or not really beating him, but he's just like not letting him win. Yes. And Kolarami's just getting more and more frustrated, more and more agitated. He's and you snorting. just see little smirk. Yeah. And Data's just like, hmm, this like kind of just pleased look on his face. And then Kolarami's just like, I'm out of here. This game is stupid. And I never wanted to play anyways. And he's just like, <laughs> totally. <laughs> Like this guy, get get back to your room, man. Get back to your quarters. Like <laughs> we're just getting not hang on the, the transporters have been fixed. Let's just get you out of here, buddy. Like <laughs> here's your care package. Goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was a really nice, it was a really nice end. I did like this episode. Liked it too. It was a fun watch. When I saw Kolrami, I was like, oh, this guy. This is this episode. So I did, I did enjoy it. But here is one final thought that I have. And I don't know if this is going into season, you know, because we're getting to the end of season two. Next week is our season two finale, um, which I'm excited about and also not because the episode is garbage. But I don't know if going into season three, this is something that changes, but I'm looking forward to season three and the end of like surprise C plots kind of not yeah. loving the C plots. Um, yeah. And I don't know if they change that in season three, but season three in my mind is where like season one was awful. Season two got a mm-hmm. lot better. But when mm-hmm. you look at the difference between early season two and late season two, there was this definite shift where the quality improved. And then season three, it's like they are on full blast, amazing TNG. Like it's, it's go from season three on. So I'm hoping that's where we stop seeing the end of like C plots. Do you have any final thoughts on this episode? I just, besides the fact that I just really liked it. No, I don't really have any final thoughts. And I do agree with you. It will be nice to see the end of the C plots and they must end because I don't remember them as part yeah. of Star Trek until rewatching these episodes and going, yeah. what are they even talking about here? So obviously <laughs> it ends at some point and I don't remember when either. So I'm so excited about season three. I can't even deal because it's just no. going to get like better and better and better. I'm so not excited about next week's episode, but it's it's kind of like us paying our dues so that we can get to the good stuff. Yeah, that is true. So thank you so, so much for listening and being just super nerds with us. We love and appreciate every single one of you. Uh, next week, we are talking season two, episode 22, Shades of Grey, which I'm just going to call Shades of Earl Grey. And we will see you next week. Thank you so much for hanging with us. Thanks for geeking out with us. Be sure to join the crew at thetngpodcast.com to be the first to know when we do our live shows or host events exclusively for our members. We'll see you next time.